What is the greatest betrayal that you have ever experienced? Start thinking through that. Who's hurt you? Who has uh, turned their back on you? Who has made accusations against you that were wrong? Who has violated you in a deep way? Now, I think we'd all agree that possibly the worst pain ever is a pain of betrayal. It is when uh, someone that we love, a friend, is, it's just the worst pain ever, right? Now, there are several examples of some famous betrayals from history, right? Like, like, like Julius Caesar, one of his closest friends, Marcus Brutus, joined the team that was trying to kill him. Remember those famous words? What are those famous words? Add to Brute. Why do we know that? Because it's a betrayal, and we can all sympathize with that betrayal. What about, what about, uh, I wasn't there. I think Rod Nipper, you were probably there about that time. What about in the Revolutionary War? I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Benedict Arnold, Benedict Arnold. He was a great American leader in the war until he didn't get the recognition he thought he deserved. And what did he do? He went and joined the British for 20,000 pounds. Pounds of what? I don't know, but 20,000 pounds. And he joined and betrayed the, the U.S. Now, we can go a little more modern day. Stop looking uh, years ago and modern. How about, how about Kevin Durant? Now, my son loves Kevin Durant. But there was a year where, where he was with the Thunder, and he was on the Thunder, and they go to the NBA Finals, and they lose against the Warriors. And what does Kevin Durant do? Come on, any sports fans? He joined the Warriors, the team that beat him. Betrayal. Now, my son loves Kevin Durant, so he'll throw it back in my face, and he said, well, what about, what about LeBron James? LeBron James, the NBA scoring leader of all time, was the homegrown uh, player in Cleveland. He grew up around Cleveland area, played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, said, I'm going to win you a championship. Until that day when he said, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and betrayed all of those Cleveland fans to go to Miami and win championships with Dwayne Wade. Oh. What about this? I know some of you know about this. What about, uh, this may be one of the greatest betrayals. What about, anybody read that book, Spare? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Prince Harry from the British royal family. Prince Harry's this guy that will publicly stand up in front of everybody and say, I want to be reconciled with my dad and my brother. I want reconciliation. And then he writes this book called Spare where he throws his family under the bus again and again and again. Like that is betrayal. And what about the greatest betrayal of all time? Top betrayal of all time. Let's see if you agree with me. Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Anakin Skywalker. Come on, you hear what you, you feeling me? Horrendously betrayed his master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and became Darth Vader. Greatest betrayal of all time, amen? Hey, like we hear these betrayals, we know these stories because we've all been in that spot where we've been hurt. Someone we've loved has turned their back on us, they, they've damaged us, they've hurt us. And the worst thing about betrayal, the worst thing about it, the reason it hurts so bad is because it doesn't come from our enemies. Betrayal comes from our friends. 
from people that we love, from people that we care about. And what happens when we go through that kind of betrayal and that hurt? Undoubtedly, our lives are going to suffer because of it. Bitterness begins to take over. And as we have this hurt, we become a little bit calloused. We start getting closed off to people and relationships. We start thinking like, I will never love again. I will never trust another person. I'm never going to put myself out there because I don't want to deal with this kind of hurt again. And so we settle, where even if we're in these relationships, they're superficial at best because we are afraid to, to get hurt again. In fact, for me, I was in first grade uh, at White Hollow Elementary on West Valley. We're, at, we're in first grade. And we had one of those student teachers come in. That's one of those uh, adults who was going to school to be a teacher, and they had to go into the classroom. And me and this student teacher, we were, we were like best buds. We would go out on recess, and we were the wall ball champions at White Hollow Elementary. We were good. And so me and this teacher were like, we're tight. We're tight. Until one day, one day, I don't, I don't remember what, maybe I talked when I wasn't supposed to, and he got mad at me, and he made me miss recess. That was a betrayal to me. Like, I'm the wall ball champion of the school. You can't make me miss recess. Like, and so literally, that teacher was in our class for another three and a half weeks. I did not speak to him once for those three and a half weeks. He'd call me, Kevin, uh, what is two plus two? And I'd just sit there. Don't judge me. I was seven years old. Come on now. Like, I was, I was, I was hurt. It, it was damaging to me. But isn't it funny when we're hurt, we can justify how bitter we become, right? But have you ever thought, in all of our bitterness and our hurt, what are we missing out on? Because we're not willing to move forward. I mean, that teacher, him and I could have become best friends. That teacher, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have just been the wall ball champions of, of White Hollow. Maybe we would have been the wall ball champions of all of Yeah. Like, who knows what could have come of it? But because of my bitterness, I prevented that relationship from healing. I prevented a, a, a relationship that could have, who knows, who knows? See, when we're hurt and we respond and live in that hurt and bitterness, how much are we missing out on of healing, of what God wants to do in us and through us? Now, fortunately, though, fortunately, you come into the church, right? And in the church, as Christians, like we all love Jesus, and there's no way that we would hurt one another in church, right? Well, that's not really the way that Scripture portrays things. In fact, Jesus and the early disciples, they knew all about hurt and betrayal. As Jesus, as he's facing arrest and suffering on the cross, remember what happened with all the disciples? They all deserted him. Every one of them left him at his most difficult time. Peter, his closest one, Denies him three times. Jesus knew all about betrayal. And while I joked and said Anakin Skywalker's betrayal was the greatest of all time, actually his is second. The greatest betrayal of all time would it not be Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' 12 disciples who was going to, God was going to use him to change the world and turn the world upside down. And what does Judas do? He sells Jesus out to the enemies for 30 pieces of silver. Undoubtedly, Jesus would have been betrayed and hurt, heartbroken. 
But of course, Jesus is God. So of course, we would trust that Jesus is going to be able to forgive Judas and, and move on. But what about the rest of those disciples? Judas was one of them. They were the 12 muchachos. These were the guys that God was going to use to change the world. What about the betrayal that they experienced by one of their brothers betraying them and betraying Jesus? And now again, if we're talking about how when we deal with, with pain and hurt from people, and sometimes that leads us to want to disengage, to not move forward, to, to remain bitter, to quit, we're unwilling to whisk, uh, whisk, unwilling, unwilling to risk, unwilling to put ourselves out there again. I mean, I just picture those, those disciples like, if they did that, then the, early, then the church doesn't exist, right? If those disciples, out of their hurt and their pain from being betrayed, if they just were bitter and said, we're not going to do this, we're not going to put ourselves out there, then I'm pretty sure that the church doesn't exist in the book of Acts. And I'm pretty sure if that doesn't exist, then are you and I here today? Do we know what Jesus has done for us if they didn't step into what God had called them to do? That betrayal, it could have stopped the movement of the church and the message of Jesus before it ever started. Today, we're starting week two of a series in the book of Acts. And we're going to spend the next couple of, of months, probably the rest of the year, kind of going through this book. It's going to be an awesome opportunity. I will say, Jake mentioned we've got those scripture journals. I mean, I'd encourage you to pick one of those up. Just, uh, I find that as you are able to go in a series like this where you're just going to be in the book of Acts, you're going to have so, so many things that the Lord begins to reveal to you. Little notes you can think, little things that God teaches you. What a great way to have it in a spot where you've got, and you can have it all in one spot. So I encourage you to pick one of those journals up and uh, use that over the next couple of months. The, the book of Acts, we gave an introduction to it last week. It is a source book for how the church started. It, it talks about the function, the purpose, the power of the church. And really, we said last week that the book of Acts, we see that the church was never meant to be an institution. It was never meant to be a place where you come and you, 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 you worship and you learn some things about God and then you go back and... and, and no, the church is supposed to be a movement. Something always in motion that changes everything around it. That is what the church is supposed to be. And as Restoration Church, as this year we get to celebrate bringing 10 years old, Man, I want to look at this book to say, how can we as a church, how can us right here, how can we be a movement and not just an institution, not a monument, but a movement that changes all around us, makes a difference in our city, in our state, in our world. Today, we're going to look at how these disciples responded to the betrayal of Judas, because I think this is a real thing. Because the reality of it is, as much as we like to think we're all Christians, we love each other, there's no way we would hurt one another. Sometimes it happens. Some of us scary, some of us scary, some of us carry wounds from being hurt and betrayed by, by brothers and sisters in Christ, people that are supposed to be on mission together. So how do we respond to that? We're going to see some necessary steps for us to move forward. So the movement continues to change the world around us. 
So here we are, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 16, starting in verse 15. I want you to think about this, though. Think about the disciples. It has been a whirlwind uh, six weeks for them. Like just six weeks ago, right? Six weeks ago, Jesus is, is, is arrested. He is uh, brought to trial and convicted of all sorts of dumb things he never did. He is caused to suffer on a cross, to hang on the cross and to die. If you're those disciples at that moment, they weren't expecting this. They picture Jesus to be some political savior. He's going to be some, some king and he's going to change everything. And now their savior's dead. Like these disciples, it would have blown their mind. They're, they're just, what a, what, what a crazy couple of days. Well, then, as they're mourning, as they're grieving the loss of their Savior, what do they hear? Jesus, he's risen from the grave. He's alive. He's not dead. He walked out of the grave. He's alive. And this text says that Jesus spent 40 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He spent 40 days reminding them, listen, this is your purpose. Your purpose as Christians, you're to be my witnesses. You're to tell other people what I've done for them, that I died for their sin, that I rose from the grave, securing their freedom, forgiveness, and salvation. And he says, he spends these 40 days saying, remember, this is how you're going to accomplish it. You're not going to accomplish your mission because you've got a great strategy, because you read a book that says, here's how you grow a church. No, you accomplish it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and allows you to be my witnesses. And that is what God uses to change the world. It's been 40 days of this. And the text that we saw last week is Jesus ascended up into heaven in a cloud. He is sitting at the right hand of God as a mediator between God and, and, and mankind. This has been a whirlwind 40 days for the disciples. And really, I can picture it. Like all that's gone on, this is, Jesus has gone, and this is probably the first moment they've had to sit down and think about it. And so it says uh, in verse 15 that there's about 120 people gathered in the upper room. And we see Peter's the first one to take charge. And what is he going to do? Jesus is gone. This is the first time they're gathered together. What does Peter do? He addresses a 100-pound gorilla in the room. Sure, there's 120 of us gathered in this room, but who's missing? Judas. Judas is missing. Judas is not with the 120. Judas is betrayer. And all that's gone on, I imagine Peter is like, hey, we haven't had a chance to talk about this. We haven't had a chance to deal with this hurt, this betrayal of Judas because of what has happened. How do you think it would feel? Their brother, their guy that was with them through everything, betrayed them, betrayed Jesus. Are they angry? Are they bitter? Do they want to quit? How many of us would want to do that? And I think about this question on, on how did the early church become a movement? They didn't just become an institution. They didn't become something that didn't have value. No, they became a movement that changed Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. We are here today because of what God did through them. So how do we get to the point where we can look and overcome our hurt and our pain and our betrayals? Because Peter is going to lead the early church to respond to Judas's betrayal. Three things he's going to do. First thing that Peter's going to do, he's going to tell them to trust that God has a plan in whatever circumstance you go through. Betrayal, 
hurt, pain. Trust that God has a plan. Here's what he said in verse 16. This is Peter. He says, brothers, listen to me. Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who would become a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter just says this whole Judas thing was part of God's plan. It had to happen. Judas's betrayal, while it would have surprised the disciples, they didn't see it coming. They thought Judas was one of them. It wasn't a surprise to God. God anticipated. God knew it was coming. God had a purpose for it. And we go through and we're like, well, what is the purpose of the betrayal? Well, I think Peter... 40 days later, I think he's had some time to process through. There's a different perspective that Peter can have now. Because Peter can think back and think, you know what? We don't get Jesus suffering on the cross. We don't get Jesus dying for us if he's not arrested. And we don't get Jesus arrested if Judas hadn't betrayed him. And so Peter's able to say, hey, I can look back and see, listen, God had a purpose in it. It may not have been easy. It may not have been maybe the way I would have done it, but God had a purpose. This is a theological term that we call the sovereignty of God. And I'll tell you, it is one of the most important things that we would understand about God. The sovereignty of God means that God is all-powerful over all of creation, that he has all power and wisdom and authority to do whatever he chooses in creation. Sovereignty of God means God is in control. You know what hope there is for us in knowing that God is in control? That whatever circumstance we're in, God is there. We might be suffering and struggling. We might be betrayed. But we have to know, listen, God is in control. There's nothing that's happened that he's like, oh, that surprised me. I never saw that one coming. Now, the sovereignty of God means, means God has a plan through all things. And we may not understand it, especially in the moment. So many times we go through difficulty and we're like, I have no clue what's going on. It doesn't make sense at all. This is where I've heard the term that sovereignty of God is best read backwards. Where you get a little bit of perspective. You get away from it for a moment and then you look back and say, oh, wow, God. I saw what you were trying to do here. You were trying to do this and this and this, and I see how you were moving. But in the middle of it, we can't see that. We don't understand that. Now, let me say this. Just because God is in control, just because God is working through whatever circumstance, whether it be betrayal or hurt or pain, that doesn't mean it takes the hurt and the pain away. In fact, look what Peter says, verse 17. He says, He was numbered among us and was allotted a share in the ministry. He's like, man, this guy, we were brothers, man. Like, we were, we were tight. We were going to change the world together. You will hear some of that pain. Like, he was, he was with one. He was with us. He was one of us. In fact, Luke goes a little further to explain that hurt. In verse 18, uh, this is how Luke summarizes and says, This man, Judas, he acquired a field that was a reward of his wickedness. See, Luke actually calls what Judas did wicked. It was wicked that he betrayed Jesus. Now, when we are dealing with, with people that hurt us, man, that's real. That pain is real. Betrayal is, is painful and it's horrendous. But here's the thing is, is when we focus on that hurt, isn't that when we become bitter? When we focus on that hurt and we zero in on it, isn't that when we make ourselves the victim? Well, poor me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. 
man, I'm just, I've got it so bad because of what has happened. Why would God make me suffer? I have every right to be angry and bitter. But this is where we have to ask that question. Is it possible? Is it possible that the God whose thoughts are above our thoughts, whose ways are above our ways, is it possible that God has a plan and a purpose? Romans 8.28 says, All things, through all things, God works for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Through all things, God has a purpose. In fact, uh, as a way to show this as a picture, in high school I had a, had a friend who had never been to the beach. And my family, we would go to the Oregon coast uh, almost once a year. And so I'm like, hey, let's go to the Oregon coast. And so I was old enough to drive, so we're driving, and I'm like, this is going to be fun. And we went to, to Newport, Oregon. Have you ever been to Newport, Oregon? Uh, uh, there's a road that you take, and it is the most curvy road ever. It is like, and of course, because I'm young, I'm like, let's see how fast we can drive this thing, right? So I'm driving, and I'm like, this is awesome. And my friend's like, dude, you're making me so carsick. This is horrible. What are you doing to me? And I'm like, this is fun, man. What are you talking about? And he's carsick, and he's like, this is miserable. What are you doing? And then we get to the coast. And that's the first time he's seen it. And he's like, wow, thank you. This is amazing. I see why we had to go over that crazy road because this is worth it. Listen, your hurt is real. I don't want to minimize it. But isn't there a comfort in knowing that we're not the only ones that have to suffer through this? Jesus knew exactly what it was like to be betrayed. The early church is in that same situation. They've been betrayed by one of their own. Yet, they're able to have this perspective. I don't understand it, but I trust that God has a plan. He says he does. I may not understand it right now in the middle of it, but I'm going to trust that God is working things out for my good and his glory. So, that's the first thing Peter does. He says, listen, God has a plan. The second thing he's going to do is processing this hurt. Rather than sitting in their bitterness, rather than, than sitting in all the emotions that go with being hurt, and rather than turning to human logic, he turned to the word of God for guidance. He turned to scripture. This is what it says in verse 20. He says, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. This is actually a quote from Psalm chapter 69, verse 25. Psalm 69 is a psalm uh, about an innocent sufferer whose enemies insult and hate him without cause in order to try and destroy him. But towards the end of that psalm, David prays that God's judgment would fall on the wicked and unrepentant enemies of this innocent one. And Peter says, listen, this is Judas. This is Judas. He's trusting. Hey, Scripture says God's judgment will come uh, on those who have done wrong. And he's like, hey, I'm turning the word of God, and I'm going to find some comfort in that. He goes further. He also quotes Psalm 109, where he says, let another take his office. Psalm 109 is another one of these psalms where there's a wicked and deceitful people who hate and slander and attack an innocent person without justification. But in that psalm, he prays that God's judgment would fall on the antagonist. 
And it says, let another take his place. So Peter, <coughs> excuse me, as the first one to lead the church, to lead the 120, what does he do? He says, this is what scripture says. Scripture says, let another take his place. The purpose, the mission of God is too important for us to sit here nursing our wounds. So, hey, this is what scripture says to do. I'm going to turn to it for guidance. And here's the point. So many times when we have hurt and pain and baggage, when we've been betrayed, we're ruled by our emotions, right? We're ruled by our emotions. Our emotions say, oh, you're, you're a victim. Our emotions say, poor you. Our emotions say, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Or we turn to a friend and our friend says, oh, you have every right to be angry and bitter and you don't ever have to trust anybody again. No, but here he turns to the word of God. And God says, listen, my mission is important. The purpose I have for you is more significant. You've got to be a witness to me. Reminds us of the purpose you need to move forward. Hey, you need to replace him. The mission has to keep going. The movement has to happen. If we're going to see the world change, if we're going to find healing and, 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 and beauty and salvation, the mission has to move forward. So Peter does that. Hey, Scripture says, replace him. So we're going to replace him. He sets the criteria. Verse 21, he says, who's going to replace Judas? He had to be somebody who accompanied us uh, during all the time that Jesus went in and out from among us, from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up with us. This guy, he has to be with Jesus. He has to be with us from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry to the very end. He's got to be with us. He includes in verse 22 that he must be a witness of the resurrection. Again, so many times in, in Christian circles, we emphasize, rightly so, like Jesus dying on the cross, his, his death on the cross, which is hugely significant. It is rightly so that we emphasize that. But it's just as important that we emphasize the resurrection of Jesus as well. In fact, uh, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ did not get raised from the dead, then we believe in vain. Now, we need to be people of the resurrection. We need to tell people, hey, this Jesus, he died for you, and then he rose from the grave. And that proves to us that God has accepted his sacrifice. That proves to us that we can become a new creation. That proved to, proves to us that that which is dead can be made alive. That we can be made new. So he says, hey, this witness, the person that we're going to replace, Scripture says we're supposed to replace Judas, they have to be somebody who's been a part of the ministry from the very beginning. Very beginning. They have to be a witness to the resurrection. In verse 23, it says, Peter, they put forward two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, whose also name was Justice. I don't know why the guy's got three names. Whatever, he's got three. And Matthias. Again, they're turning to Scripture. It says, hey, you need to replace him. They, pre pre they present two men who are qualified to serve as an apostle. Now, let's just pause for a second, though. Again, these disciples, Peter, they've been betrayed. They've been hurt. And when we've been betrayed and hurt, like, like we might be like, all right, we need to move forward. But at some point, doesn't a little bit of fear come in? Uh, oh, I need to move forward. I need to not let this hurt continue to, to hold me back. And we get ready to step in, and then we're like, oh, crap, but what if it happens again? I mean, I picture Peter being like, 
hey, we've got these two men that are qualified. Which one do we do? Oh, but what if, what if one of them betrays us? What if we go through the same thing we went through with Judas? But look what he does, verse 24. And it says, and they prayed and said, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show us which of one of these two you have chosen. And I think this is the third thing that Peter does. He's going to say, well, yes, there is a matter that they are going to have to trust Matthias if that's who they choose. But ultimately, the bigger thing is, will you trust and depend on God? In this moment, they're looking and saying, hey, we've got these two men. We don't know which one to choose. One of them might hurt us. One of them might betray us. Ultimately, they turn to God and say, God, which one have you chosen? Because we might put some trust in that leader. We might put some trust in that person. But the bigger question is, will you trust God? Will you trust the people that God has set in place for your life? That's what it comes down to, is will you trust God? They're praying and saying, God, we need you. God, you know the hearts. Both of these guys, they meet the qualifications, but God, we want to know which one you have chosen, because if you've chosen them, God, if you've chosen them, we're going to trust you, that you are going to put that person in place. You are the one working, and you're working through fallen people, but ultimately, God, we're, we're going to trust him by way of trusting you. See how that works? Again, I picture Peter and I'm like, man, it's hard to trust one of these two guys. But the bigger question is, do you trust God? Do you trust that God has put people in your life? God has put leaders in the church. God has put leaders around you because God has chosen them. Are they perfect? No. Is there risk? Yes. But do you trust God? Do you trust God to do what God is asking you to do? To step in, to call one of these men to be a part of the group, to, 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 be in, to live life and live in community with them? That's the question, is do you trust God? Comes down to it, they pray, God, which one have you chosen? Verse 26 says, they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and Matthias was chosen to be numbered with the 11 apostles to bring the number back up to 12. Now, I know we read some of that and we're like, they cast lots. Like, are we supposed to do that? Is that how we decide, like, today? Like, oh, which, uh, which, which pastor should we choose to be for the church? We'll just cast lots? No, it's a different thing. Uh, the idea of casting lots comes from Proverbs chapter 16, where it says the decision uh, of lots belongs to the Lord. But we're in a different day in Asia. They were, in fact, here in Acts chapter 1 is the last time you'll ever see in the scriptures of anybody casting lots. And why is that? Because we now have the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2. So we don't have to cast lots to figure out what God wants. No, we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and direct us. All right. A little bit of a whirlwind. A little bit of today. But here's... Here's a big idea. Here, here, here's what I'm trying to, to help us understand, okay? Summary of our message today. The movement of God, the church, we overcome setbacks through dependence on God and his word. Because I'll tell you what, if you've been in church world any amount of time, you know we're fallen people. 
In fact, one of the things we say is, is this is not a place for perfect people. We're a group of people who are fallen, who sometimes struggle, who sometimes hurt one another, who sometimes say things that we shouldn't say. That is what, that's who we are. Let's just acknowledge that. None of us are perfect. And I'm the first one to say that. I'm the first one to say that. But we recognize the mission that God has given us. He's calling us to be his witnesses. He's calling us to make a difference in our families. He's calling us to make a difference in our neighborhood. He's calling us to make a difference in our city. And if we want to throw in the towel because we got hurt, if we want to quit because we were betrayed, we won't do what God has called us to do. We won't be what God has called us to be. We'll miss out on what God has for us and what God wants to do in us and through us. That is why if we're going to move forward, if we're going to be a movement here at Restoration Church, if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in our lives and in our church, we've got to be willing to continue moving forward with a dependence and trust that God has a plan. We might not understand it, but God has a plan, and we're going to trust his word and what he's calling us to do. Three simple points of application, and then we'll go home and start preparing our, uh, our chicken wings for the Super Bowl today, okay? Number one, here's your application number one. We've got to learn to interpret our circumstances in light of God's sovereignty. Because you know what most of the time happens? Oftentimes what we do is we go through a circumstance and we interpret God in light of uh, our circumstance. So we go through something and we're like, oh man, this is suffering and I don't feel I'm justified. And so we're like, God, where are you? You're absent. We interpret God in light of our circumstance. Well, God, why did you allow this bad thing to happen here? Are you mad at me? God, are you absent? God, are you not real? No, see, what we normally do is we interpret God in light of our circumstance, and that's backwards. No, we have to understand, listen, if, 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 if Scripture is real, if the Word of God is real and God is sovereign, God is in control, if God is God, then we have to interpret our circumstances in light of what God is trying to do. That maybe you're going through something, and maybe it's your own fault, or maybe it's that God is trying to accomplish something in you and through you. My example of this, my dad died when I was nine years old. We were sitting in our living room watching The Price is Right. He had a heart attack in the living room and died right there. And uh, that's probably been the, the, the deepest wound of my life. Uh, I have longed for a father's affirmation and affection. And I find as I get older, it's weird. I, I long more and more that I wish my dad, would, I wish I could talk to him. I wish I could ask him, how do you raise teenagers? How do you, how do, you do these? Like, I can't tell you how much I long for that. And there's been this hole left in my life. In fact, as I've been in counseling, this is what we're talking about the loss of my dad. But while I can look and I can see so much hardship that has come from that, I also have to recognize how that has shaped me to be the man I am today. In fact, as I think about my role as pastor, like God has used that to shape me to have a heart for, for, for people. Where, where I, I long to find those people that are, man, they're a little bit like I was, a little bit lost, 
a little bit, they, 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 there's, a, there's a hole in their life. There's something missing. I, I, man, those are the people I long for. Those are the people like, I'm, like, I'm passionate for. Like, those are the people like, I'm so encouraged to walk alongside and say, man, let me help you find healing through Jesus because I've been there. And so while I can look and I can say, why, is it, why, why did I have to not have my dad? I look at some people and I'm like, man, you're a jerk to your dad. What are you doing? I wish I had that. But I look back and I say, wow, God, I see you use that. To make me who I am today, there was a plan and a purpose for it. In fact, Joni Erickson Tata said this. He said, God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. This is where, again, we've got to understand that the sovereignty of God is, is best read backwards. Very rarely when we're suffering when we've been betrayed, when we're dealing with that hurt, very rarely do we understand what God is trying to do in the moment. But guess what? When you stay faithful to him and you're like trusting him, God, I know you're going to do something with this. You get a little time behind you. You get a little perspective. And you look back down the road and you're like, wow, I see that road was windy and it was difficult and it made me car sick. But now I see we're at the coast and I see, God, what you were trying to do. I see the purpose behind it. You were preparing something. Number one, we've got to be a people who begin to interpret our circumstances in light of God's sovereignty. Number two, let me ask you this, where do you need to surrender and be willing to trust and obey God regardless of your circumstances? Again, hurt is real. We live in a fallen world. There's no way to escape it. People are going to let you down. You're going to let other people's down as well. And some of us, we've been ruled for years by this hurt. Because let's just be honest, isn't it easier to stay bitter? Isn't it easier to stay closed off? To stay superficial? To stay lukewarm? To, to, to be on the outside without getting in because we don't want to get hurt? But let me ask you that question. What are you missing out on? By trying to protect yourself, what are you missing out on? Healing? Absolutely. When you stay bitter and you stay on the outside, you miss that opportunity for God to bring healing to your life. What about what God wants to do? What about redemption? We stay bitter. It's almost as if we're not giving God the opportunity to redeem and fix what's gone wrong because we're on the outside and we're bitter and we're ruled by our emotions. What about the fact that some of us go through some of these things and we're like, man, this is a mess. What about how God usually takes that mess and turns it into a message? He makes it a testimony. He makes us stronger to where, as we've been through stuff, guess what? We're able to help other people go through some of those same things. And how do we do that? Not because we're bitter, but because we're willing to say, God, I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to trust and obey you and what you're asking me to do. But let me just say this. I think that for some of us, it's time today that we pray and say, God, would you help me forgive? We've been holding on to a hurt. We've been holding on to a grudge. We've been holding on to bitterness. Listen, ultimately, by holding on to those things, you're hurting yourself. Lewis Mead, uh, who's a theologian, said this. He said, forgiveness sets a prisoner free. But when you forgive, you realize that you were actually the prisoner. 
Isn't that true? It's not easy. Forgiveness isn't easy. This is why we're called to live by faith and depend on him. Some of us in here need to wrestle through that idea of who do we need to forgive. Some of us need to stop questioning whether or not we can trust another person and ultimately question and say, can I trust God? It's not a matter of trusting that person. This question is, do you trust God bigger than that person? Do you trust that God is sovereign and in control? Do you trust that God chooses people to work in you and through you? God is calling us to give our lives to the gospel, to, to, to engage the people of God. The question is, will you trust him to do that? Will you trust the leaders that he has chosen to, to serve you? They're not going to be perfect. But I tell you what, if God is chosen them, I think most of the time those people are trying to honor the God as the best of their ability. The question is, will you trust God more than you'll trust people? Because when you trust God, God will call you to trust in people. Last thing, and then we'll be done. You do not have to suffer alone. Like all of us in this room, all of us in this room, we've been hurt. We've been betrayed. We've been let down. We've been disappointed. We've been taken advantage of. We've had people uh, make false accusations of us. And what happens is when we get hurt, what do we do? We pull back. We seclude ourselves. We go into our little huddle by ourselves, and well, I'm just going to suffer alone because, you know, I'm afraid of people, and they're going to hurt me, and they're going to do whatever. Listen, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. And isn't there a great comfort in knowing that you're not the only one? That you do not have to suffer alone. In a real sense, I think there is healing and growth and hope when we say, hey, here's where I'm at, and we allow other people to walk with us in it. Because we can come to church and we can hear the pastor talk about the need to forgive, the need to move forward. And sometimes that just feels scary and overwhelming. But how great is it to know that there are other people who've been through what you've been through, who will walk with you to say, hey, let's take one step at a time together. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to figure it out on your, on your own. There's going to be times when you're going to fall back, and guess what? There's people with you to walk alongside you as you go and trying to find that forgiveness. When you try and find that, that healing. So one of the terms, one of the phrases we use here at Restoration Church is we are a people who belong together. We're not a perfect group of people. Restoration Church, we cease to become a, a, a perfect people the day I decided we're going to plant a church. When I became a part, we couldn't be a perfect church. But in a real sense, one of the things that we value is that here we are a people that belong together. Our lives are connected, which means we walk through hard stuff together. We extend grace to one another. We remind ourselves, we remind each other. Listen, you may not understand it, but God is still sovereign. He gives us that promise that he is working for our good and for his glory. 
that even though we're struggling and suffering, whatever it is, listen, if you allow him, he will make it clear to you eventually. We remind each other of the grace of God. We remind each other of what God is, is calling us to. And this is where when we're struggling, listen, listen, we've got to reach out. We've got to be willing to say, here's where I'm at. Would you walk through this with me? We need a friend. We need accountability. We need to be reminded of love. This is where the, I can't say it enough that here at Restoration Church, listen, we long to be a people that belong together. And wherever it is you find yourself today, you've been betrayed, you've carried those wounds, you've got that unforgiveness, you've got whatever it happens to be. Listen, I pray that you would reach out and find someone to walk through that process with you. That you would find healing. That you would trust that God is, is working through it to help you be all that God has called you to be. And help you accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish. Because again, I come back to this idea. I don't want the church just to be an institution. I don't want the church to be a monument. I want to see it be a movement that changes everything around us. I want the church to be a movement that begins to see neighborhoods around us change the glory of God. I want to see lives restored. I want to see marriages healed. I want to see, I want to see addictions broken free. I think that happens as we allow the mission of God to move forward. Which means we've got to deal with some of that hurt. We've got to trust that God is at work. We've got to choose to trust him again and again and again.